God, we thank you for uh, the gift of your son. I thank you for sending him to give us new life. And I thank you that we can learn about him through your word and that we can know truly who Jesus is. And I pray that you would use your word this morning to shape us to be your people living in the real world, in everyday lives as followers of Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus, asking for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I found out this week that uh, September 18th, just in a couple weeks, is National Back to Church Sunday. And I think this is really interesting. 29,000 churches are involved in this uh, nationwide program. I think it's really interesting that there's enough of a sense that there are people who uh, used to be part of the church who are now not part of the church, that, that someone decided to start this. And, and there's been enough, uh, to, uh, enough need there to kind of strike a chord with other churches and to kind of create this thing. And there's a whole website, backtochurch.com, with resources to help you do kind of a, a church-wide campaign of invitation and then, and then follow-up. Um, Trinity's not participating in this, but, but really our heart is aligned with that same kind of thing. We've been working hard to try to create a culture where each one of us who is the follower of Jesus is engaging those not only who used to go to church but don't now, but those who have never heard about Jesus. We, we want to be building a culture where we are naturally and routinely inviting others to join us. And the need for this is, is readily apparent. For those who follow this kind of thing, there's been a lot researched and a lot written on uh, the rise of what they're calling the nuns, uh, people with no religious affiliations. So this would include agnostics, it would include atheists, it would include those who believe in God or uh, multiple gods, a plural, plurality of gods, without actually belonging to a particular uh, church. And my generation is the most likely to identify as a nun. More than a third of us would identify as having no religious affiliation at all. It's a big enough trend that National Geographic magazine actually ran an article this spring called The World's Newest Major Religion is No Religion. And you likely know people who would identify as following under this camp. And, and, and maybe you yourself are there and you're, and you're kind of drawn to that yourself. And of course, with the rise of the nuns comes a corresponding uh, drop in church attendance, particularly those who uh, attend church regularly. And of course, that number is really hard to nail down because the percentage of us who say that we go to church regularly is actually much higher than the reports actually coming from churches on attendance. And this is at least somewhat reflective of the new norm of what it means to be a regular church attender. A couple of decade, decades ago, regular church attendance meant that you were at church three times a week. You were there Sunday morning and probably Sunday school and a worship service. Then you were back Sunday night for a service. And then you were back on Wednesday night for a prayer service. So three times a week you were in church. That was regular church attendance. Anymore, regular church attendance might be as little as one or two times per month. Not three times a week, but one or two times a month. Now, from the perspective of someone who loves the church, these trends can be really frustrating. But it got me thinking about an even more fundamental question. Well, why would anyone come to church at all? I mean, why is anyone here in the first place? I mean, let's think about this together. You probably have other things that you could be doing right now, right? It's a nice sunny summer day. You could have a cup of coffee. You could be sitting on your deck, reading a nice book, enjoying the last official weekend of summer. You could be plopped down on your couch watching 20-some hours of pre- and post-game analysis and thoughts and other stuff from, from the latest sports games. You could be taking a walk out in the state park. And yet, for some reason, you've decided to come here. Some of you are on vacation, and you're still deciding to come to church. Why would anyone do that? 
And before you decide to kind of change your mind and get up and leave, because those sound like better ideas than just kind of sitting here for a little bit, um, let me say that I'm glad you're here. It'd be kind of lonely without you, so thank you. Um, but I believe that you're a part of something that's incredibly important, and, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. And it's very important for the church to frequently come back and, and recalibrate, come back to what we are doing and why we are doing it. And, and that's what we're going to do in this three-week series that we're starting today called One Mission Together. Now, if you're a part of our church family, if you've been with us this summer, you know that we're calling our vision to reach our community, be intentional about that one mission. It comes from the heart of Jesus, who, who says that a shepherd will leave 99 sheep to go after one single sheep. In this great verse in Luke 15, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And if that's God's heart, then we want our hearts to line up with God's heart. We realize that every single one matters to God. At the same time, we realize that every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus is called to reach out to those people who right now are living outside of a relationship with Christ. And so with this one mission, we realize that, that God has put people in our lives, our ones, and he's put them on our hearts and positioned us to reach them. And so we want to be intentional about praying for them. We want to be intentional about building a relationship with them and being able to tell them about Jesus. So that's, the, that's how we're working together to reach out into our community, to make more disciples of Jesus. But this series that we're starting uh, today, we're going to see how the church is so important to it, how, why the community of faith is such a vital part of that. And the first text that we're looking at in this series is Ephesians chapter 4. So please turn there in your Bibles if you haven't already. Ephesians 4, and we'll look at verses 1 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. You can grab one from the pew rack. It's found on page 1,158. Ephesians chapter 4, 1,158. As we look at this text, we're going to see two reasons why the church is so important and why I'm so glad you're here this morning. First, it's because God has formed the church. He has made us into one body. Listen to how Paul starts this section of text, beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. Now we're picking up halfway through a letter to an ancient church, and in, in the very first clause here, we get a clue that there is something bigger going on here. There's a tiny little word in my translation, it's then. Your translation might have therefore. That is pointing back to this hugely important uh, explanation of the gospel that Paul has started this whole letter with. He started with looking back at the amazing thing that God has done for us in Jesus, that, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, and talking about all that that looks like. And then in chapter 2, he's saying, as for you, all of us, we were dead in our transitions, we were dead in our sins, we were, like everyone else, deserving of God's wrath. And, and then the good news that, but God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. It is by grace we've been saved through faith. So all this hugely important gospel emphasis in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then in chapter 4, then, in light of all that, this is how you are to live together. So behind everything that we're talking about today is this idea that God has done something huge that has transformed our lives. 
So the gospel is behind all of this. Don't try to do what we're talking about today without first getting the gospel. So if you don't know what the gospel is, go back to Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Read those out, and you can even focus in on, on Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and get a real sense of what the gospel is. So start there, and then in light of all of that God has done for us and how that has transformed everything in our life, therefore... I call you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Christians now are called to live in a particular way. So this whole passage, everything that we're looking at today, is under the banner of living a life worthy of the gospel calling that God has given us. We see what that looks like in concrete terms in verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, this is interesting. It means that living worthy of the calling of the gospel means there are other people in my life, and I have to live in a particular way toward these other people. Now, why is that? It's because God has made us part of one body. That's what he's getting at in verses 4, 5, and 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Now, I don't know what comes to mind for you when you hear the word church. Maybe you think of a gathering. Maybe you think of a building. And this is how we uh, can use the word church. We talk about going to church. But church is not just a place. Church isn't primarily a building. Church is a community. Church is the people who belong to Jesus. That's the fundamental definition of what the church is. So if you are a follower of Jesus, whether or not you've ever formally become a member of a particular church family, you are part of that one body that is the church. The church is one body because of God's action. It is, it is one because of all the other ones that we see in this paragraph. We have one spirit. God's spirit is living and active in us, giving us life. We have one hope. So we have the same hope. We have the same faith. We have the same Lord who is Jesus. It's because of all these ones that, that we are united together. See, it's the good news of Jesus that creates the church. The church is everyone who trusts in Jesus, and that means that there are no Christians, there's no such thing as a Christian who's not part of the church because God has drawn us together. And that's one of the reasons it's so maddening for me to hear many in my generation express this sentiment that, well, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. Well, it doesn't really make sense, does it? It turns out that Jesus actually loves the church. Jesus loves the church so much that he died for her. And his death covers all of the sins and all the imperfections that you don't like about the church. For us to say that we love Jesus but we don't like the church, it, it just misses the point. It would be like me approaching my wife uh, this week and saying, well, Emily, I love you. I love being married to you. I love being part of this family with you. But these kids... <laughs> they have so many toys, and, and they tend to get those toys out, and and the floor is just covered with all these toys. And, and you know, we end up having to, to buy school supplies for them, so we've got to put some of our budget there. We end up having to buy more food to feed them. So, so here's the deal. I, I, I'm going to be part of your family, but I'm not going to be part of their family. How do you think she'd feel if I said that? She wouldn't be very impressed, right? Don't worry, I talked to my kids beforehand. They knew I was going to say this. They know that's not my true feelings, right? <laughs> Right? 
if you love Jesus enough to call him your Lord, then you are part of the church. God has formed you together into this one body. We are called to one body together with everyone else who loves Jesus enough to call him Lord. Because of Jesus, the church matters. That's why the church is so important. To, to live worthy of the calling that we've received means to live as one body, to actually care about these people around us. We find that we have a responsibility toward one another. And this is not just abstract. We don't read this and hear about, yes, we should be humble, patient, gentle, bearing with one another. This is not something about some ideal church off in, in your imagination where you, you like everyone there and no one ever does anything that upsets you or embarrasses you or annoys you. This isn't that kind of a reality. This is for the real church in the real world. I mean, otherwise, why would Paul even have to tell them that they have to be gentle and patient with one another? It's because there are going to be times when they are not patient with one another. There are going to be times when they don't want to be gentle with one another. They're going to want to be harsh with one another because these other people can be so maddening. This is for real people. This is for the real church in the real world. So these people who are sitting around you, who are in front of you and behind you, next to you, these people matter. These are the very ones toward whom you need to be completely humble and gentle, toward whom you have to be patient, toward whom you have to bear with, which basically means put up with when they, make, when they do things that you don't like. These are the people toward whom you need to make every effort to keep the unity of God's Spirit and the bond of peace. It is the real church in the real world. So here's what we come to find out. Church is so important because it is the creation of God. He has made us. God has made us one body together in Jesus. And that means that we have a responsibility toward one another. That's why church is so important. The second reason the church is so important is because God calls us to grow up. Look at these next verses here, starting in verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Paul says that, that Jesus has given each one of us grace. And in this context, what that grace means is that Jesus has given us gifts that we are called to use to help the church grow. So in verses 8 through 10, he talks about Jesus coming down to earth and living and dying, being raised to life. So he has changed that. He has filled the whole earth, and then he has ascended back to his rightful place on his throne at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. And from there, he gives the church gifts. Now, how are those gifts used for the good of the church? Look at verses 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Jesus has given every single follower of his gifts for the good of the church. And here specifically, he's talking about the leaders that he has given in the church. And the reason he has given the church leaders is not to do all the works of ministry, but to prepare God's people to be able to do works of ministry. That means that every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus is a minister. Ministry isn't just for pastors. Ministry is not just for elders or church leaders, for any particular group. 
ministry is for every single follower of Jesus. See, the reality is that, that Christ has specifically given every one of us gifts and abilities and passions. And he has given us those gifts and abilities and passions to serve the church so that we can grow up together and for us to, to use that together. That means that we're not spectators here. That means that we're not consumers of religious goods and services. No, we are active ministers. And we are active ministers for the good of the church, but we're also active ministers for our own growth. Look at the next verses here. We'll pick up again at verse 13, because we see the goal here in verse 13. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There is an expectation here that Christians will grow up. There's an expectation of a, of a maturing process here. It's not just that we pray a prayer of trust in Jesus and then come to church and then are never changed. Everything just stays the same. Trusting in Jesus is just the first step in the process of becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus. It's an important step. It's a crucial step. But what it means when we pray a prayer of, of trusting in Jesus, when we give our life to him, that's a first step. That means that we've become a baby. And that's great because it means you have new life in him. But it's also not the final thing because it means that you are vulnerable. And Paul discusses that vulnerability in verse 14. That's what it's about. When you are an infant, you can be tossed back and forth by the waves. You can be drawn to this teaching or drawn to that teaching. It's a, it's a vulnerable, dangerous place to be. You're a spiritual infant, just a little baby in Christ. Now, this, this imagery of being an infant, it's, it's a very poignant one for, for people like me who have little tiny ones at home. Because we know how much care and attention our, our little ones need. We know how easily they can get into trouble and need to be rescued. My two-year-old ran out in front of a car in the parking lot here in church a couple weeks ago, and, and it, he's got no sense of self-preservation, right? He always has to have someone looking out for him. Now imagine if infants never grew out of that. If we always had, they, they always had to have someone watching over them if they always had to have someone feeding them, if they always had to have someone changing their diaper. And parents don't want that for their kids, right? And Jesus doesn't want it for his church either. He calls us to grow up to maturity. And interestingly, growing up means becoming more like Jesus. Did you catch that in verse 13? Until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, which means attaining to the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. Same thing in verse 15. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. I mean, that's a high standard. Growing up, maturing, means becoming more like Jesus. It's an incredibly high standard. That's not something that we are going to attain overnight. It's not something we're going to attain in our own power. This has to be the lifelong work of God in our lives to bring us to that point. And the good news is that's what God does. God does this lifelong work in us to bring us to maturity. 
to make us more and more like his son Jesus. And he does that work through the church. See, that's why we need the church, and, and that's why the church needs us. What we see here is that we need the church. The church needs us. We saw in the first verses of the chapter that, that we are, if we're a follower of Jesus, we are part of the church. God has called us together and formed us into one body. We now have a responsibility toward others with the same faith in this same body. And now we see that we are called to grow up, to mature. And we see that we need each other to be able to do that. Ephesians 4 is a great picture of what that looks like, especially verse 15 and verse 16. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, from Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's a picture of the, the mutuality of the church, of working together, growing together up into maturity. That's a very different picture of church than what is common in our cultural context. It's very easy for us today to see the church not as the family that God has put us in to serve and to grow up together, but instead as an optional kind of add-on that can meet my spiritual needs. So that means we don't see ourselves as, as ministers building up the body with everything that Jesus has given us, but we instead see ourselves as consumers who are looking for the best option. And so we do things like go church shopping, where we try to find a place where we will feel fed, a place with the best worship experience, the best youth program, the best kids program. And, and to some degree, we play into this, right? We're working very hard to, to have a great kids program where they're going to hear about Jesus. We're excited about the things that are happening there. We're working really hard to continue to develop our worship ministry so that there's this undistracting call to worship God and to give voice to the praise of God's people. I got to go online on Saturday nights and try to Google the best sermon I can find and, and, and rip it off and plagiarize it so that I can kind of engage people. It's hard work. But, but even, the, even the structure that we have here, right? We've got all seats facing a platform, and then we've got someone standing up on a platform talking back at people. All this stuff kind of works against the, the feeling of mutuality here. It kind of continues to create that consumer mindset. But here's the reality. We are not here to be entertained. We are called to grow up, to be like Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, listen, do not be complacent. Do not coast through life. Jesus did not rescue us so that we could sit in a pew every Sunday and always be the same. He saved us so that we can be part of his amazing work of rescuing the world. He has called you and me to be part of his church, this new family that gets to together show the world how great God is by how we live together, how we put up with one another, how we love each other, and how we grow together. This is why the church is so vitally important for us. Now, my generation in particular has much to learn from previous generations. For most of us, we do not make church a priority. It's another thing on the list, and often it's the first one that gets kicked off the list. I was talking to a fellow pastor who was just kind of bemoaning some of the, the trouble he had in, in, in working with some of the people in his church, and, and he said this. He said, you know, if I was a soccer coach, this would be much easier. If I was a soccer coach everyone would show up. That's a harsh statement, but the degree to which that is true is the degree to which our priorities are sorely out of line. 
we need to learn from a previous generation of Christians who have grown up to maturity in Christ, who can model for us what it means to live as the church, to have church as a, as a priority, a foundation of our family life and of our life as individuals. I heard a story of a group of 20-somethings who were talking about what they loved about their particular church family. And one of them said something about uh, the music, and then one of them said something about the, the depth of community that they experienced there. And then someone else spoke up, and they just, they just gave a name. They said, what I love about my church is Bill Wallace. And everyone else in the room nodded their heads, yes. Bill Wallace is why we love our church. Bill Wallace is this 76-year-old man who has made it his mission to make sure every young person in his church know that they matter. <laughs> and so he goes to basketball games, he goes to plays, he goes to band concerts, and he makes an intentional effort every Sunday to greet those people by name, to say hi to them, and to find out about their interests, to ask them about their life. He wants them to know that they matter. Why do I get choked up about this stuff? It's ridiculous. <laughs> That's someone who gets it. He gets that this matters. He gets that, that he is called to use his gifts of encouragement to actually encourage others. It doesn't matter if they're 60 or 70 years younger than him. They are part of this one same body, and God has given him a gift and a passion, and he's using that every single week. His life is oriented around being a minister of the gospel. The church is so important for this. It's not an add-on. It's not an optional kind of thing. See, we need each other to be able to learn how to live. God has called us to grow up, and we need each other if we're going to be able to do that. For our church family, our community to grow, we need you to be actively involved, using the gifts that Jesus has given you for that very purpose. And for you to be growing and maturing yourself, you need the community of faith to come alongside of you and to be a venue for you to serve and minister together. We are in this together and we need each other. Community is such an important part of the Christian life and what it means to grow up into maturity in Christ. And we're at a place in our life as a church where, where community doesn't necessarily come naturally. It's not necessarily an easy thing for us. Now, when my wife and I got here six years ago, there, there are few enough people here where we felt like we could know everybody. And that's a good feeling. It's the kind of feeling where you feel like family and it's easy to have a new person come and to feel like family. And this is what we experienced. People had us over to their homes for dinner. We got to hear their stories. We got to share stories. We felt like we were really in this together. We belonged together. We were part of the family. But there's this tipping point over the past several years where we went from feeling like, yeah, I know everyone in my church to to realizing that there's some people that I don't know in church, to realizing there are a lot of people I don't know in church, and suddenly you're like, who are all these people who are in our church? I don't even know their first names. There was this, I had this really alarming experience um, early in the summer, uh, it was during the second service, and, and I looked out as I was preaching, this is what goes through my head when I'm preaching, uh, and I realized half the people in the room, I didn't even know their first names. How can you grow up together in community if we don't even know each other? This is one of the reasons we're, we're pushing small groups so hard right now. This is one of the reasons that they're so important for the life of the church. Christian community is a vital part of what it means to be a Christian. It's what God uses not only to grow us, but also to make our mission in our community more effective. 
Community is always going to be important for us because it is the biblical model for church life, and it's one of the key means that God uses to grow us. And so as we continue to push hard to, to make more disciples of Jesus, to bring the gospel to those who haven't heard of him, to make more disciples, as we continue to do that, we also have to work hard to live in community together so that we can grow up together as well. Small groups are just one way of doing that, but they're an important way of doing that because they give us intentional, regular times with a, more, with a smaller gathering so that we can actually apply God's word together so that we can pray together, so that we can care for each other, so that we can reach out together. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you might hear the word small groups and just kind of check out. You've done small groups, maybe you've led small groups, uh, we've tried them this way, we've tried them that way, we've called them this, we've called them that, and, and frankly, maybe you're just a little tired of it. You've heard all of this stuff, and you've just kind of given up hope that this can actually be something that's effective. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum. You've never been in a small group, and, and the thought of gathering with a smaller group of people where you might be a little less anonymous makes you want to run and hide and, and never even come near those things. Why would anyone ever do that? Let me just say, I get it. We're not saying that, that groups are perfect. We're not promising that suddenly these people are going to become your best friends and, and we've got it all figured out and this is going to be perfect and easy. There's a lot of opportunity. There's a risk here for rejection. There's a risk here for relational difficulty. There's a risk here for discomfort. And yet for all of that, they're, important for, they're an important way for us as a church today to follow the pattern of living together well as the community of Christ. Growing up together in Christian community is simply too important to say, you know what, I've done that before, I've tried it, and I'm just not sure it's going to work. It's important enough to keep pushing through the hard things. Sometimes it's even the difficulty, it's even the imperfection that God uses to grow and to shape us, and then to help us grow and shape the church. And if it is a daunting thing, if it is a scary thing for you, we want to give you easy on-ramp so it's a little less scary. Break the ice. Try it out. You don't have to commit to being in part of a group for five years. Just come to the first one. See how it is. See if these people are really as scary as you think they might be. This is a huge opportunity. Growing up together in Christ is much too important to just let slide and just ignore and pass by. As we alluded to earlier, there will be a chance for sign-ups next week. And this is really a great chance for you and I to, to change our concept from the church being this weekly thing that I attend to a family that God has given me to help grow me and to help me be part of growing. Let's go back to our opening question. Why would anyone ever come to church? Right? Church is messy. Church takes up time. Church can be demanding. You might come on a Sunday morning and be pressured to sign up for small groups. <laughs> but church is beautiful. Church is the place where people from every background, in every walk of life, with all sorts of different interests and all sorts of different gifts, come together by the work of God to become one, one body, one family together. And in this messy, imperfect, sometimes maddening family, we find that we have the joy of growing up together. And against all odds, little by little, sometimes three steps forward, four steps back, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. And that's why Jesus has given us the church. And that's what we want to do faithfully together. Please join me in prayer. 
God, I thank you for the church. There are many of us who have been disappointed by church, many of us who have been uh, hurt by the church, many of us who have been frustrated with the church. But what a gift that we are not all alone, isolated to our own little world. What a gift that we've been given this new family. I pray, God, that you would be gracious and merciful to us. We know all too well how imperfect we are and how imperfectly we live in community. In your grace, I pray that you would shape us to maturity, that we would become, by your action, by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, more and more like Jesus. We want our whole community to be able to look at us and say, yes, they are not perfect, but their God is good, and he is powerful, and he is doing something there for your glory. In the name of Christ, amen.